Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how do you feel when someone you love comes up to you and says, we have to talk? Does it make you feel good? I don't like it when somebody I love comes up to me and says, we have to talk. Because it means something's wrong. It means something's not right. It means something is between us. Something has to be dealt with. You see, when, when things are not right, when things are out of place, then there's no peace. And when there's no peace, we can't enjoy the joy and the love of a relationship. When there is conflict, when there is unresolved sin, this disrupts peace. It's like putting a huge dam in place to block the flow of love and joy, because the three go together. Love, joy, peace, they go together. Love is that unconditional, that unfailing commitment to seek the good, the welfare of the other. And joy is that mutual delight in loving and being loved. And peace is the, the pleasure and the felicity of harmony and concord and prosperity in that relationship of love and joy. Now, the word peace in Scripture is a very rich and deep and wide word. It means a lot more than just the absence of war. It's deeper than that. It means that, that everything is right. Everything is all right. Everything is in its place. Everything is functioning as it ought. There is nothing unresolved. There is nothing unreconciled. All of our relationships on every level are well, are in harmony. The word for peace in the Greek New Testament is erene, or where we get the, the word irenic from, irenic, and we get the name Irene from that word as well. And then in the Old Testament Hebrew, the word is shalom, shalom. Just to give you an idea of how deep and wide and rich this word is in Scripture, turn with me for a moment to Psalm 38, verse 4. Psalm 38, 4. And you won't see the word peace here. We're going to have to look for it. Psalm 38, 4, which says, oh, sorry, it's, it's verse 3 in the English. Verse 3 in the English. Uh, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. Now, children, do you see the word peace there? You don't, not in English. But see that word health there at the end of the verse 3? That word health in in Hebrew, is shalom. There is no shalom in my bones. There is no peace in my bones because of my sins. There's something not right. Something is out of kilter. And I'm hurting physically because of it. You see, that's what the fall into sin did. It, it twisted the structure of reality. It perverted harmony into disharmony. And we feel it on every level and in every way, in every aspect of life. Our bodies began to experience the curse 
sickness and pain and death. And we, we began to experience that disharmony, not just in our bodies, but in our minds and in our relationships. We see that in Genesis chapter 3 and the following chapters, the, the disharmony in, in, in marriage, in family, as one brother kills another, the disharmony in society in general, as people hate and are hated. That's the way they live, and, and we see it unfolding quickly, don't we, after the fall, that, that, that this harmony also extends to our relationship with the animals and even with the earth itself. Everything's broken. Everything's hurting. Everything's in pain. And all of these consequences are consequences of the brokenness in the relationship between us and God. And so throughout the scriptures, as we read through the scriptures, and we, we sang and read about that in Psalm 85 as well, there's a close connection between righteousness and peace. Because when things are right, when things are according to the will of God, the Creator, when things are functioning the way He made them, He created them to be, then there is peace. And in a post-fall world, when things are dealt with, then there is peace. Now, what can make things right? What needs to be dealt with so that there can be peace? And the answer is sin. Sin needs to be dealt with. And to understand that, we're going to turn right now to Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25. We're going to go back 3,000 years, or 3,500 years. We're going to go back to the people of Israel as they're going through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And in chapter 25 of the book of Numbers, after a number of attempts, uh, Balak trying to curse God's people. He doesn't succeed. So then he decides to seduce them into fornication and into serving uh, foreign gods. And that's exactly what happens. What didn't work with the curse does work when Moab sends their young women to draw God's people to sacrifices to the evil gods of Moab. And so you see what happens. You look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 25. The people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. They, they made a profession of faith. They made a commitment. They yoked themselves. They said, we like this. We like this kind of worship. It makes us feel good. We, we like this God and what this false God promises us. It's a lot more exciting than the God who brought us out of Egypt and has all these commandments to follow. And as a result, the wrath of God is kindled against Israel and people start dying. And then there are two, there are two reactions here in chapter 25. The, the one reaction uh, we see in verse 6, we see Moses 
And the whole congregation, they're weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They gather as close as they can to that holy of holies. And they're in the presence of God as close as they can get. And they're saying, Lord, we've sinned. We've messed up. Take us back. Wash us clean. Love us. Give us joy and restore our peace. That's the one reaction. But there's another reaction. And that reaction is of one of the princes of God's people, one of the, the leaders. We find out in a few verses later. Look at verse 6. He, he takes a, a Midianite woman, a foreign woman, serving foreign gods, and in the sight of the whole congregation, brings this woman, this worshiper of false gods, into the camp, begins to fornicate with her. And then what happens? Well, many of you know the story. Verse 7, Phinehas who was the grandson of Aaron, he, he will later become the third high priest of Israel, he walks into the tent, drives a spear through the man and the woman, kills them, and the plague stops. And then see what God says in verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. And it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. What does this teach us? Well, it teaches us this. This is a very violent story when we're having a sermon about peace, right? But, but it teaches us this biblical truth, that peace can only be obtained through the destruction of sin. That fornicating couple, they were at that moment the incarnation of the sin of idolatry and physical and spiritual adultery. And that sin had to be dealt with swiftly and definitively. And when it was dealt with, it brought healing and reconciliation and peace. We need to understand, brothers and sisters, as one of the old writers puts it, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Someone's going to die. Either your sin's going to die or you are going to be killed by your sin. Those are the two options. And when it comes to sin, our thoughts need to be extremely violent. We need to hate sin. We need to root sin out. We need to kill it. We need to stomp on it. We need to mortify it. That's what you do when you have a threat. Imagine you're at home. Children, you're at home and there's this big, vicious, angry massive anaconda thrashing around in your house, trying to devour your whole family. What are you going to do with this massive snake? Well, I know what you're not going to do. You're not going to sit calmly at the table eating and making conversation, pretending it's not there while it's trying to wrap, around it, wrap itself around you and crush the life out of you and eat your siblings. You don't just pretend it's not there. You fight for your life, and you go for the kill, 
and you crush the head of the serpent. Now that should be kind of obvious, right? That should be obvious, but it's not. God's people have gotten this wrong so many times over the years, and we still get it wrong so often. Turn to Jeremiah 6.13 for a moment. Jeremiah 6.13. And the prophet is prophesying against the wickedness of God's people. Sin is rampant. Look at verse 13, Jeremiah 6. From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. So there's a lot of sin. But what do people think about this sin? Well, look at verse 14. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You know what they're saying? They say, hey, it's, it, there's nothing to see here. Everything is in order. They're so in love with sin that they don't even have any shame. Look at verse 15. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. They figure they can go to all the external rituals of serving God. And then on the other hand, they can embrace sin and love sin and live in sin. And you can have the two together. It's okay. Peace. Well, much of the church today, brothers and sisters, is terrified, the worldwide Christian church, much of the church today is terrified that people will be turned off by the holiness of God. And so there's this great temptation for the modern church to say, come, sinners, we love and we accept you as sinners. And we will never call you to repentance and to conversion and to holiness, especially if the law of the land forbids us to. It, it's okay. You can love sin and you can love God at the same time. Peace, peace. Well, we know what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that undealt with sin is misery. It is darkness. It is shame. It is separation from God. It is death. And that is true for the church, and that is also true for your life and for my life. We can't just pretend sin away. We can't just kind of cover it up and sweep it under the rug and hope that no one will notice and hope that it won't affect us. That's stupid. It's as foolish as sweeping that anaconda under the rug and hoping that maybe life can get back to normal. It's not going to work. There is an answer, though. The answer is not avoidance. The answer is not faking it. But the answer, as always, is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And we read in Isaiah 9 those glorious prophecies about the coming Savior given to a people who walk in darkness and misery under the burden of sin and oppression. And then the prophet in Isaiah 9, 3, he, 
He puts before the people the, the prospect of joy and rejoicing and gladness and the taking away of yokes and the crushing and the, the destruction of oppression. Well, how is that going to happen? What's gonna, where's this going to come from? Well, look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's where it's to be found. In the one who deals with sin, because of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And that's what happened. This child was born. And when he was born, the angels glorified God and declared peace on earth to men in whom God is well pleased. The Prince of Peace came, and he lived, and he suffered, and he went to the cross. And on that cross, he made himself the very incarnation of sin. And on the cross, God plunged the spear of his holy and righteous and burning anger into himself. And with one swift blow, he destroyed the power of sin and death forever. God dealt with the problem. God crushed the head of the serpent. God established the eternal covenant of peace in Jesus Christ as our great high priest. That's what Paul lays out for us in the book to the room, the letter to the room. As he goes through in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, he lays out the problem of sin. He lays out the fact that the whole world has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that no one is righteous. And he makes it clear in Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4, he makes it clear that there is only one way out. There's only one way to be reconciled to God. And that is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified for our sins, raised for our justification. The only hope for the sinner is to look at the cross and to see righteousness and peace kissing each other in that great, glorious act of redemption. And then see what he writes in Romans 5 verse 1. After laying out that whole argument, see what he writes in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it's done. That's where you find it. That is the hope that is the glory of the gospel. Christ has set things right. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our reconciler. And if all is well between us and God, then all is well between us and each other as well. Also, you see that when Paul writes to the Philippians, if you turn to Philippians chapter 4, for instance. 
Philippians chapter 4, Paul's been writing through this whole letter about being joyful in the Lord. And, and, and he even begins chapter 4 speaking about love and joy. But then he deals with a problem with peace. Because Euodia and Syntyche are not agreeing. There's conflict in the church between people who are active in the gospel. What is the solution that Paul offers to a church in conflict? Well, his solution is verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So rejoice in the Lord. And then what? Well, look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Rejoice in God. Pray to God. Pray to God for his grace and for his Holy Spirit, and he will pour the power of the age to come into your hearts and your lives and your congregation He will pour the love, the joy, the peace of the Spirit. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is not a peace which we can manage to get, to claim, to grasp by trying harder, by doing better, by being smarter, by being kinder. By working more intensely, this is a peace which God must pour graciously and sovereignly into our hearts and lives. It's a gift. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what do you have left outstanding in your heart, in your life? What have you left undealt with? What sin have you left unconfessed? What untreated sin is poisoning your relationship with God and with others? Brother, sister, bring it to the cross. Bring it to the Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins and set me free from all the power of the devil. He has done it. He has dealt with it. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the Holy Supper. You know, in the Old Testament, after offering the sacrifice for sin, God's people would offer a peace offering, a shalom Offering, And when they celebrated that shalom offering, they would sit down at the table together in the presence of God and they would eat and drink and rejoice in that sacrifice, celebrating shalom with God and with each other. And today we come to celebrate the peace offering. Today we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Today we celebrate that Jesus is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Today we celebrate that he was crushed for our iniquities. That upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Today we celebrate shalom. In a world 
roiling with conflict and anger, confusion, fear, anxiety, hatred, injustice, oppression, people looking for answers. How do we solve this? How do we deal with this? And in the midst of all this chaos, God's people meet together in holy assembly Heaven and earth, time and eternity meet in holy worship. And in peace we sit down at the table of the Lord. We celebrate the meal of the covenant of peace. We celebrate the victory of our glorious King, the Prince of Peace. And we rejoice as from the throne of the universe, He pours into our hearts and lives. The Spirit who brings love, joy, and peace. Amen.